Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the MLS Bench Podcast. This episode is going to be a little different than normal. We don't have a full slate of MLS games to talk about. We just had the international break with the U.S. uh, closing up shop in their pre-World Cup preparations, not in the uh, manner that we had wished for. But they, uh, they just played Japan and Saudi Arabia, and so we'll talk about that. Before that, though, we'll hit up uh, some of the uh, MLS games. We had a few games that happened during the international break. And now we are basically just two weeks till decision day. We have this weekend's uh, matches. We have a few in the midweek. And then this, uh, not this coming Saturday and Sunday, but the Sunday after that is decision day. And we're going to know the playoff picture in its entirety on that day. And that's kind of the uh, culmination of all that we've been talking about and thinking about for the last 20, 30 weeks. It's kind of crazy that it's already here, but that's just around the corner. So I think uh, without further ado, I have Andres and Matt with me. It's great to talk with you guys again uh, with some MLS action. And I think we'll start uh, just very briefly talking about San Jose and the LA Galaxy. That game kicked off last Saturday. The Galaxy, it was, it was a thriller toward the end, but the Galaxy hung on to their uh, three goal advantage at one point, winning 3 2 in the end. Uh, Matt, did you see this game? Uh, and what do you have on kind of the Galaxy's, uh, you know, kind of late resurgence, good enough uh, at this point to put them in the playoffs? Yeah, I, it, they found a really, really good time to catch this second wind and really start actually finishing their chances more than anything. Um, so I. I have kind of twofold on on this match. I think Galaxy are they are doing what they need to to make the playoffs, and that's good because having LA in the playoffs is is good for the league. It just is, and they're they're huge. So that's awesome. And then what I actually was looking for in this match, I I'm really excited to see what San Jose can become under uh, Lucha Gonzalez. Is specifically because of some of their young talent. I in in this match for me it was uh, Nico Sakaris. He's really really fun, and getting him to see or getting to see him ride challenges from Brugman and play really really well was wonderful. He almost gets a goal, um, and really what happens in this match ends up being Chicharito takes his chances very very well. Um, the few chances that fall to San Jose don't quite make it, and that's it. So, yeah, and, and watching this game, the the game flow was basically Galaxy. You know, it, through the first really seventy minutes, um, it was, you know, with a few chances sprinkled in for San Jose, it was basically all Galaxy. They much deserved that three 0 lead that they got. Uh, the 69th minute, uh, Chicharito putting in his second. Brugman also had a banger just before halftime. And then a penalty by Christian Espinoza and a very, very late goal by Nathan, like the last kick of the game, basically, um, uh, to make it 3-2. I think that, that could have been an own goal, I think, maybe off Derek Williams. I think they gave it to Nathan, though, in the end. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a pretty good Galaxy win, Definitely what they needed to really cement their spot in the playoffs. And I think, Andres, I know you didn't watch this game in its entirety, but, you know, San Jose, we don't really have to talk about them. We've kind of touched on them, the whole Lucci thing. Definitely potential for next year, but this year wasn't quite it. For LA, I think really it's the, the difference is Ricky Pooge putting in him 
uh, excuse me, putting him in there is just a breath of fresh air. He looks a level above. Brugman has also come in and been a stud at the six. And Chitrio got himself back on the score sheet. All those things are just positive after positive as they head into the playoffs. It's not amazing, but certainly it's much better than it was, what, a month, two months ago? Yeah, for sure. And, and when you looked at the Galaxy and the San Jose matchup, that they had this game in hand, um, basically they were already above the, the playoff line, but if they don't get a win in this one, or if if they get a, a bad result here, then you're basically still tied with Salt Lake and you open the door for Seattle or Vancouver to jump you. Um, so it was a really important result for them to get. And if you go back, wind the clock back two months to July, uh, the Galaxy were kind of in the middle of a bad run. Uh, they had just lost to Sac Republic in the Open Cup. They had lost to Minnesota. Um, and they had lost the LAFC in El Trafico. And then they went to Cali Classico and lost to San Jose. So it's not like unprecedented for, for San Jose to beat them. Uh, and so just to to get this result, to, to get this three points, that's back-to-back wins here uh, towards the end of the season. They've got a chance here to clinch because um, they play RSL this this upcoming Saturday. Uh, that will put, basically put them out of reach of RSL if they can win that game and of Vancouver. Um, not to mention Seattle, who we'll get into now. But for somebody who's significantly doubted uh, the Galaxy throughout throughout the season, I think you're absolutely right. I think Pooj has been uh, even more of an upgrade than most of us would have thought. Maybe not the Galaxy front office, but most of us on the outside. Uh, and Brugman's been really good. They seem to have settled on Chicharito starting and Jovalich off the bench. Uh, Chicharito seems to be motivated, confident, and healthy. So um, I still have my doubts whether this is a, a team that can contend in the playoffs, but it seems like they're going to get over the line. And that's not something I would have thought of even beginning of this month. So, yeah, big result. Uh, good for the Galaxy and good for them to make. It seems like they're going to make the playoffs. I think it's only the second time in the last six years. And like Matt said, that's that's good for the league. So all in all, uh, a real positive result. Yeah, good for the league to see the Galaxy kind of back in the mix finally. And also just good to see that these individual players, you know, are playing kind of the big matches. We talk about Chicharito. This guy hasn't played really playoff matches at all, really, in his Galaxy career. I might be wrong about that, but I'm not. I mean, maybe he's played one or two, but nothing really meaningful. Definitely nothing deep in the playoffs. We talk about Puj as the young player coming in from Barca, Brugman, you know, Araujo, you know, all these young up-and-coming players or guys like Chicharito who are kind of legends even worldwide haven't gotten, you know, the chance to play on the stage that is the playoffs. I'm not saying that worldwide it matters, but I'm saying that at least in America, you know, more people are going to watch the MLS Cup Final or the MLS Cup Playoffs than some random midweek game, right? So at least that matters at least you know these players are going to get their chance to prove it you know in in the big dance that is massive for the galaxy they are sitting on 46 points through 32 games tied with portland but have a uh, two more wins than portland which is the you know first differential or the, the first tiebreaker rather in mls Portland also on 46 points, 32 games. Minnesota, 45 points, 32 games in 7th place. And then down in 8th place, it's RSL on 43 points, 
through 32 games. Because these games kind of go in tandem, Andres, you brought up that point. That's a good one. Seattle tying FC Cincinnati at home on Tuesday night. That basically does it for them. I think mathematically, it's it's just about there, if not already there. I think it's a lot of stuff would have to go crazy for Seattle to make the playoffs. In effect, they are eliminated. What does that mean for this team? What does that mean for this league? I'll start with you, Matt, as Seattle, for really the first time in a long time, haven't played really well this season. It's... You're you're 100% right. What do I think that it means for the Sounders in the grand scheme? Very little. Uh, and the reason being they they did their winning early. Like, winning CCL is huge. Like, that was a massive, massive storyline of this season. And I think it's it's easy for us to kind of forget that because it's not right in the front of our faces. But... That they're they're the first in the modern iteration of that cup, um. So it it stinks because that does mean that we have I think what is it a, a twelve year run of uh, the Sounders being involved in the playoffs and losing that streak is going to be difficult. But there's very little that tells me that they're not just going to go ahead and bounce right back up, like. There is so much quality throughout that team. They're going to be significantly better next year. And they've also gotten a lot of minutes for their younger players, which is going to give them so much more depth next year, which just, again, it compounds, it compounds, it compounds, and things are better. So, uh, large scheme, the Sounders are still fine. Yeah, and Anders, I'll get to you in a second. Uh, I think... This tweet kind of sums up my opinion. If if you guys know, um, I, the guy's uh, handle is at a handle for Ian on Twitter. Very funny guy. Works with ASA. Uh, here's the tweet. It says uh, in parentheses thread. Sorry to do sorry to do another thread, but a lot of people are now questioning whether or not winning CCL was worth missing out on the playoffs. If you think one caused the other, I hope this thread helps put things in proper perspective. So buckle in, folks. Was it worth it? Yes. End of the thread. So, like, I, CCL just matters so much more than an MLS playoff berth would because it's not like Seattle was going to win the thing. It's not like they had a shot of, you know, bouncing up the standings at any point in the season. For the most part, we knew from summer on that it was going to be them, Portland, RSL, Galaxy in a battle for those last couple spots. It just hasn't shaken out their way. But at the end of the day, this team wasn't going to win the cup. So if you think that winning CCL might have cost them or putting time and energy into that might have cost them the couple extra points that would have needed, they would have needed to get over the line in this case, you take CCL and you run with it every single day of the week. For me, that's just a lot more important. Andres, what say you? I think you guys have stated it. I don't have a whole lot more to add. I think you guys are dead on one. Uh, absolutely agree uh, winning champions league being the first to do that totally worth missing out on a, on a playoff berth if that's what causes it uh you've done the playoff thing 10 times in a row you've never done the champions league and neither has anybody else so i think that's totally worth it uh two i think 
Uh, Matt's point about them being fine going into next year, I expect them to be really good next year. Uh, you lost João Paulo at the CCL uh, final. You lost Obed Vargas, Rui Diaz, and has been in an, in and out. Uh, you lost Roldan for this little stretch run, first time that's happened in a long time. And, you know, you could sort of sense that the first two months of the season, uh, they weren't really playing to to their potential in the league. Maybe, you know, one and a half eyes on on CCL. Um, and even right after that, they had a couple of bad results. Uh, you change a couple of those and they're in the playoffs anyway. So I think long term... You're, I think Matt's right. Seattle will be just fine. And I think you guys are right. Um, definitely worth sacrificing one one season for, for the CCL run. Um, I'm sure Sounders fans are disappointed at this point with how it's played out. Uh, but overall, you have to be real proud of what that club has, has accomplished. And I think they'll be fine going forward. So not so much to be down on. It was the perfect storm of a massive distraction for the through the first like two months of the season, and then all the injuries right that came with it. You know, Jao Paulo, massive Obed Vargas. You know, we we've touched on all of this in the past, but as this is kind of the end for the Sounders, we might touch on them next week. But in effect, they are out, and we know that now. It, it just it just wasn't their season. If you're going to look at the course of you know 34 games all that has to go into that. Um, and for the fact that the, the rest of the West, the teams above them are all good teams with good players who can challenge most of the other teams on a given day. Like I think Minnesota, who's sitting in seventh right now, has a shot against basically any team in that conference. It's a really stacked conference. And for Seattle for missing out, I think most of all, not just the CCL run, I mean, it's the injuries. You keep Rui Diaz healthy through for if he plays 30 games, if Xiao Paulo plays 30 games, Christian Rodon plays 30 games, Ladero, Morris, all those guys stay healthy and are fit. I think we're talking about a different Sounders team. That hasn't been the case in past years for the Sounders, and they've managed. This year it was just too much, and that's going to happen. Uh, I, I do want to bounce it back to you, Andres. Anything you saw on uh, or w- with their game uh, against Cincinnati in particular that you wanted? to touch on as uh, for Cincinnati, it, it's a midweek game. You know, you got games on the weekend for Cincy. They go over uh, to Seattle, get a point, And maybe we'll touch on the East in just a second, but that's really, really big for them. Getting this point all the way across the country could really be the point that could see them into the playoffs. What, uh, what do you have on this game in particular? Yeah, I think, I think Cincinnati's in anyways. I think they were in before. Before now, I, this just kind of puts them even one more point uh, over the over the top there. Um, but you know, regarding this specific game, they didn't play the weekend before, so technically it's a midweek, but with a weekend rest. Uh, and Seattle was missing basically all of their best three players, right? So they're missing Rui Diaz, they're missing Ladero, uh, they're missing Jordan Morris, uh, Roldan came back in, came off the bench for the last 30 minutes. Uh, so it's a depleted Seattle. Uh, it's still a good point because it's cross country and it's, you know, like you said, a midweek game. But I'm not taking a whole lot from from this specific game. If if anything, it just reinforces uh, how much more resilient and kind of together that Cincinnati team is compared to previous seasons. But I think we already knew that. I think 
Cincinnati's shown over the last three months kind of who they are, um, you know, with that Union game, with some of the games against Columbus um, and New York. They've, they've, they've played well. I think they deserve uh, a playoff spot, and this one specific game doesn't really move the needle for me other than just kind of reinforcing what I think we already know. I do want to go ahead and just give like a quick shout out to I think one of the players who has been a surprise massive upgrade. Uh Robin Celentano has been huge for them. And this is kind of a bad game to to really highlight that because of the fact that he makes a couple of incredible saves and then he just straight up gets his angles wrong for the uh Freddie Montero goal. But he's been so massive to Cincinnati, improving significantly. Um, really, really want, just wanted to give him a shout out because I think that that's really, really helped them get where they are. Matt, are you thinking of that one save in the first half, like the short range getting down to yeah. his right? With one hand, just being able to push it off and just pure reflex. That like, was incredible. Just insane. Like, I, I, I don't remember who put the header on, but like... I, I, the kid's 22, and he's putting up saves like this. You know goalkeepers get better with time, but I, I'm just, I, I cannot be more enthused if I'm a Cincinnati fan that we're going to have him for a little bit. So, yep. Yeah. And their defense has gotten so much better in the late season, which uh, it's difficult to get better. Uh, it's difficult to get worse, but, you know, they have really strengthened throughout. So I... I they can do something in the playoffs. Yeah, I was about to mention that because you're talking about defense, goalkeeper, like the two things that, you know, a solid defense, any game, right, that can make the difference. And a good goalkeeper, should something happen to that D, if they can pull a save out from nothing, that can be the difference between a win and a loss. And in the playoffs, it's, it's single elimination every game. There's no long term. Every single game is kind of its own mini season in a way. You got to put everything in. And because of that, that's where those you know key moments where it could be one keeper makes a save, another keeper wouldn't. And you know, for Cincinnati, having a guy like Celentano, a guy who we know can make all those big saves, we've seen it time and again this season. That could prove massive for them. So, unless anyone has anything more on this game, Cincinnati sitting in fifth, um, basically cemented their spot. There, there is a way that they can slip up, but. All the other teams behind them, Orlando, Inter, Miami, and Columbus, would have to essentially be perfect, and they would have to uh, they would have to not be losing again. They would have to lose to Chicago and DC, um, really, if they don't want to make the playoffs at this point. I just don't see that happening for a Cincinnati team who has been basically consistent throughout the course of the season. Good for them. For Seattle, like we mentioned, they are three points uh, behind eighth. They are five points behind seventh. It's just not going to happen this year. Uh, for a Sounders team that has maybe the biggest silverware that you can get uh, coming out of this year, but none of that involves uh, Major League Soccer. So for them, it's a good season, uh, but you know, g- given you know CCL and all, but at the end of the day, not going to be happy about MLS. Time to recap, uh, come back, and next year, hopefully they'll have those guys back and ready to make another run in this league. So I think that's just about it for MLS. If we want to touch on the East for a second, we can. But I think Andres and I did a lot of that last week. I think if you guys are good with it, we can move on uh, 
to the reason why there's only these, you know, a few games to touch on. It's the international break. It's the last international break before the World Cup because of the interesting placement of the World Cup uh, in November. There is no really run up to the World Cup. You know, uh, often these camps would start two, three weeks before um, in a normal World Cup year. I believe it's somewhere around that. This time, I believe it's basically week of. It's almost like a normal international break. It has no extra build up. These teams don't have chances to play friendlies. If you remember, France had a uh, early June friendly against the United States in 2018 before their World Cup win. Um, that will not happen this time around. It'll just be get to Qatar, get with the teams, and then play your first games. And for the United States, this uh, little this last tune-up, I think, is what it's being called before the World Cup, did not go to plan whatsoever. A two-nothing loss to Japan in Dusseldorf, followed up by a no-no draw with Saudi Arabia and Mercia, uh, Germany and Spain, respectively. A little uh, European trip against Asian opponents for the United States. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, Andres, I will start with you. I know that you saw both these games in their entirety. Just opening thoughts on this team as we head into really the biggest World Cup in a long time, given the talent, given the hype. This window did not satisfy any concerns whatsoever. If anything, it raised more as we head in uh, to the big dance. Yeah, and where do, I don't even know where to start. I mean, it was honestly as a as a U.S. fan, you watch these games, and it was really pretty deflating. Um, I think you guys know I don't put a whole lot of stock in friendlies in general. I uh, you know I typically don't watch many friendlies. Um, there's not a. I think there's that. There, you're missing that edge when there's something on the line uh, for the whole team. I think you can maybe grace some individual performances typically but it's hard to really make any judgments off of them uh but in this case uh we're talking the last couple games right before the world cup you want to see some sort of cohesion a game plan that that's flowing and, and working um and it it was the exact opposite of that i mean i can't think japan especially was was awful um not not Japan. Japan was pretty good. The game against Japan from the U.S. side was awful. Um, Saudi Arabia was a little bit better, uh, but it's a lot of that was due to the way that Saudi Arabia approached the game uh, rather than how Japan did. Japan really pressed uh, the U.S. and the U.S. really wanted to play out of the back and did a really terrible job of doing it. Uh, just kept they couldn't complete a pass in their own third. Uh, Japan just kept turning them over, uh, you know, once and again. Um, and Saudi Arabia sat back in a mid to low block for the most part and and didn't put as much pressure. And the U.S. couldn't really break that down. Um, actually gave up the best chance of the game as well. So um, we can talk about individual players, changes that might come, other takeaways. But just from a general standpoint, just to start the conversation, that was that was brutal to watch. And, and it needs to be... A lot, a lot better to get anything out of the the, the World Cup, uh, <clears throat> let alone get out of the group. The only thing that came to mind through, unfortunately, both of these matches was just how incredibly toothless and disconnected the U.S. played defensively in attack. It, it, it was miserable. 
Uh, and I agree with you 100%, Andres. Like, the Japan match was one of the worst matches I've seen in half a decade. Uh, it, the thing that really actually got me upset though, was just the, the, what I took to be a lack of effort. And I, I just was really, really bummed to hear that. Like I, this is a match that I take time off work. I was really excited to, you know, see how we could tune up and then to have that be the product that we put out where you cannot connect three passes in a row, like, perpetually putting it right into the feet of a Japanese player. Like it, it was just really, really pathetic. And a lot of that, I think came from this idea that we could, it, it, it to me, it just seemed a little bit arrogant the way the, the team approached those games. And I just, I, it really, really rubbed me the wrong way. So, uh, if this is even remotely the way that we approach a world cup, which I know it won't be because, that those games will matter and there will be that edge in the air. Still, this just left the, a horrible taste in my mouth and really, really difficult. So, I'll just put one caveat, and it's not by any means an excuse. I, I'm not trying to excuse the performance. It was, it was as terrible as we've described. But I'll just say both in Germany and in Spain, the crowds were limited. I think there was less than a thousand people um, in the crowd. It felt like a COVID, uh, you know, lockdown, early COVID game where where you could hear the communication between the coaches and the players. Um, so I imagine if you have a friendly and you've got nobody in the stands, maybe that saps away some of the energy. I think you felt it from Saudi Arabia also, mm-hmm. uh, not from Japan. Uh, it's not an excuse, but I'll just throw that as a as a caveat, the World Cup will have a totally different feel to it. Hopefully, that's enough to get them to get them up for it. But there there is that to to at least consider. Absolutely, You're, that's one hundred percent true. Um, but I yeah, and then I still think back to you know MLS is back when those those stadiums were empty, but it still there was there was something to do. And obviously, an actual competition, not a friendly. But uh, yeah, I, I take your point. And I, I remain still very, very upset with the way it was approached. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and I was listening to the scuff recap of the Saudi Arabia game. Uncharacteristic of me, I haven't gotten to watch the Saudi game yet because I had stuff going on. Um, but it's just like, in the World Cup, you know, the U.S. has never played their best when it's tr- when we try to play this plotting, you know, slow tempo, kind of very, you know, we'll get the ball, we'll make the decision, kind of treat every play, every build-up as its kind of own little thing. When we've been playing, when we've been flying, when we've been playing kind of like the heart and passion soccer that we play against Mexico, for example, um, where, you know, we're trying to connect passes and we're, we're still trying to play nice, but at the end of the day, we're getting stuck into tackles, we're pressing the heck out of them. When we have that kind of mentality, maybe it will be different. And I think we've seen that in the past. So that's the point of optimism. Um, but watching the you know, the parts of the Japan game that I was able to, it was just Japan. And that was another point that Velasquez made about Japan, I think, is like it was a basic 4-4-2 press. It, it wasn't Gangan pressing. It was not Red Bull, you know, pressing on every line. Then you drop back to get behind the ball. But you start by just flooding numbers uh, at them. It was very much the striker or the two strikers will press. Then the midfield will press our midfield. 
then the back line or whatever, the defensive mid or whatever will clean up. Like it was not complicated to break down. Like I guarantee you that every one of those players has, you know, played a four four two press in their life. Like that's not the most difficult thing in the world. And yet it just looked like we were walking in like you know like that Ublex stuff that like if you run across it, it's like nothing, but like if you just like try and like step through it, you like can't move. It looked like we were walking in that stuff. Like we couldn't move the ball. The tempo was so slow. It, we weren't connecting after we got to Tyler Adams. Nobody was really moving. It just looked so devoid mm. of anything. And it wasn't that we were trying stuff and it wasn't working out. It wasn't like we were getting into the attacking third and we just couldn't finish. That stuff is manageable because at, at the very least, if you're getting chances, maybe one of those goes in, in the World Cup and you win a game or you win two games. But that wasn't happening. It looked so bad against Japan in particular. That's why I'm a little nervous. Matt, do you feel that same way? Yeah, similarly. And... and- to me, I feel like that there needs to be the ability for a team to recognize, like, oh, we're we're on the the other end of this pretty like heavy press where Japan's just constantly in the right spots. Cool, like that's that's fine. Let's ad- adapt. Let's go ahead and get really vertical. Like, let's go ahead and swing the ball up the side. Let's actually really get some movement. And that it that's what I was hoping to see. Like, I, I'll I'll take a punch in the mouth, but you have to be able to then respond to it and not just say, oh, no, let me go ahead and put my job back out there. You have to be able to adapt. And so I'm hoping it, the other bright spot or the only bright spot in these two matches is the fact that they were not, you know, in November. So take this punch in the mouth, change, get better. Uh, I, I think additionally, the other thing you could add, and this is not a positive in that it is inherently negative that we don't have these guys, but to be optimistic in terms of it, Reyna did suffer, I think, the 7 to 10 day strain. That continues to be a nagging issue, and I am not happy to have to address that You know, every single time. Hopefully he's able to get over this because he has a very promising career, and that stuff can easily get destroyed by one of these little, little hamstring injuries. Um, But... We we had Reyna this time. It seems like this isn't anything catastrophic, and hopefully we'll be able to have him in November, knock on wood. We didn't have Tim Weah. We didn't have Jedi Robinson. Didn't have Chris Richards. Didn't have Christian Pulisic for the first game. Didn't have... Uh, who else? Who am I missing? Uh, didn't have Yunus Musa, of course. Yunus Musa. Those five guys, right? We talk about Jedi, Weah, Musa, Richards... Potentially Stefan, though I don't really see him starting over Turner. Maybe it'll happen. And at least for the first game, Pulisic are all stone cold starters. I mean, they are locked in. So with those guys, I think that changes the game, particularly Musa and his ability to single handedly break lines with his ball progression. Andres, do you see that same kind of stuff? And you know, when we get those players back, do you think that we can see you know pretty big changes just in the fact that we have those guys? So yeah, so I think. You mentioned Musa. I think he definitely helps uh, progress with with ball progression. Um, I lost track of how many times uh, we lost the ball between our own eighteen and the center and the, and the center half. Basically, 
um, you know, that's the area where where Musa can help with turning and driving and progressing the ball for sure. I think Weya, if I don't know if he'll be healthy, he hasn't played all season so far. But if he's if he's there, he he definitely helps to provide that vertical threat, gives you more more space underneath. Um, especially if you play a couple long balls to him, um, you could you could make the case that Richards um, will be better with the ball uh, coming out of uh, out of that center back position. Although we haven't seen a ton of him at the international level, uh, but at the same time, uh, McKenney and Adams are are stone cold starters on this team, right? And McKenney specifically, but both of them were pretty bad in this window, um, and Pulisic. Unfortunately, I mean, it's not that he's a bad player or anything, but I think he's pretty clearly worse of a player than he was four years ago. Um, he's just not driving at people. He's not as involved in the game. Uh, so it's. Um, I, I think that's the hope. You have to hope that some of those guys uh, make a difference in, in the aspects of the game where we really struggled. Uh, but you also have to hope that some of the guys that are there uh, can turn it on because the guys that were there just played uh, not very not very well either. So it's a little bit of both. Uh, I worry that it's a little bit too late. I really really well said. Um, my my other concern is that uh, the attack is very very one dimensional without I think Jedi specifically like. Having that good overlap coming from the left hand and then not having, you know, uh, we saw it in the uh, Saudi Arabia match uh, specifically where Dest was playing on the left. He and Pulisic like to get into the same spaces. Um, I think a lot of that's because they're both right footed. That's uh, I, or at very least that's some of the discourse that I was seeing. Um, I it's It's crazy how much this team changes for me just with the inclusion of a, a left-footed left back like that, that I think is going to be a massive, massive difference. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping we see something there. I I'm kind of wondering, do you guys happen to remember if we've seen um, Jedi and Dest played at the same time? Yeah, probably uh, Costa Rica home. Costa Rica home. Okay. Probably. I, I'm I trying think, to think because my my concern there is that both of them like to get forward and like to really really move the ball um, and be involved in the attack, which they're both good at. But then I just I'm concerned that that gives you a, a little bit more um, fragility at the back. So we'll we'll see. I, I'm interested in what that looks like. Um, so maybe there's something there, to, but I, again, we don't way, have right? time. I, I think mm-hmm. that's that's the only. That's the only option, because right? mm. Yedlin likes to get forward. Also, he seems like he's the second option at right back. Uh, Sam Vines, uh, it seemed like he was tied uh, by the shoulder to the center backs you know, against Japan. Uh, just didn't. I, I'm assuming that's the instruction he was given, but just didn't get forward at all whatsoever. Um, so we don't really have a left back. Bello seems to have dropped off the radar um, right now. Uh, so, uh, at that point, what are you looking at? Reggie Cannon, uh, if you want a more defensive uh, right back, 
or, or Joe Scali, I guess he came on uh, against Saudi Arabia, but I think you've got no choice. You're running out Destin Jedi Robinson and you're taking the positives with the negatives at this point. Um, Matt, to your point about uh, Jedi and Dest, uh, they played like half a qualifying together. Um, they played uh, the uh, let me just they, they played the Costa Rica game. They played the Jamaica home game. They played uh, the Canada home game, the Canada away game, the El Salvador mm-hmm. home game. So they've played enough. That we have a as rep- representative a sample as you're probably going to get with this team in really any two combinations of players, just because given all the injuries and stuff over the last year and some good performances, some bad performances, like what's been the U S over the last year or so has basically been encapsulated in their sharing the field together. Now I I hear your concerns about that. I I think, and you guys made a good point. I had, like I said, didn't watch either really game close enough to, you know, really analyze it from a soccer perspective. But I will say that um, we've talked about this for a while. Like, regardless of what comes of it, just the spacing aspect of it, Pulisic cutting in with his right. We know that Ferreira likes to drop deep and doesn't always like to just body up a center back, right? We know that McKenney likes to get high. When you have all those players in the same space, it makes it just super easy for a defense to step two or three to that space, and you've probably got the ball. Having Jetta on that overlap makes. You know, that uh, makes the outside back, the right back in this case, have to make the decision whether to stay with Pulisic, step out to Jedi, then a switch has to come. Then inevitably, you're going to have a midfielder running free. It just makes everything so much smoother if you have that left-footed outside back that's okay bombing just up and down, really heels on the touchline. And we know that that's not Dest or Pulisic on the left side because they are right-footed players. Even then, I'd like to see... The U.S. play basically the exact opposite style that they've played uh, right now under Burhalter, um, and I'm I'm not one of these Burhalter out guys for the last three years or or anything of the sort. I I think he's he's a, an intelligent guy um, with with ideas, but I think the ideas don't suit this particular group of guys at all. I think. Uh, we see that now in in the way that things ha- have gone, um, even with the wins, they they don't come out of fluid attack. And I'd love to see them just kind of play a little bit more cautiously, a little bit more defensive, uh, win the ball, uh, and then go much more direct. Go much more direct. Utilize the the ability of the wingers. Uh, utilize the ball winning ability of Adams and the late runs of of McKinney, uh, and even. Even then, you could have Jedi and Dest overlapping off of second balls um, and whipping in crosses and, and and then just cutting back behind the ball and trying to win the ball again and go direct. And and we're doing the exact opposite. We're trying to play out, out of the back, be plotting, uh, run a build-up, uh, patterns of play that are just not working at all because it's not the style that suits this team. So I hope I'm wrong. I'll obviously be watching and rooting uh, along in November, but it it just yeah it was a it was a disappointing and a sour taste, like Matt said. I will say this with our our, our best performance against a really high quality team or not a really high quality team but a World Cup team right over the last year, we I, I think we can all agree that in a competitive game at least not the Morocco friendly we're talking about Mexico at home right. Um, I don't think I can think of a better performance against the World Cup team 
uh, in a competitive game in the last year. We've had Canada sprinkled in there. We've had uh, the other Mexico game, Costa Rica. But, I mean, really, it's Mexico. And that game, the patterns of play were, you know, Musa played amazing that game. Um, Wea played amazing that game. And we had that overlap happening on the left as well. You know, it, uh, and that was when Aronson was in because Pulisic was coming back from that injury. He scored, but that was after he came on as a sub. So that was our best game, and it was pretty quick ball progression. It, Stefan was uh, in at that point, and he was skipping the uh, the defense at times. When it got to the defense, they were finding Musa checking down. But I think what was really key is that if we're going to play this way, because Andres, I understand your point that maybe you don't want to play this way. But I think that there is a future with this way. I think it's the way that got us to the World Cup. And like it or not, like we've played good soccer at times with this kind of style, I guess you could say. Not the super, super um, trying to play tiki-taka like we were this window. Um, that's never worked. But the more pragmatic style, playing from the back, playing from Stefan's feet, playing from the you know center back's feet, has worked. But it is just key on a couple things. Number one, it's that spacing aspect that I talked about. Number two, it's Moose's ball progression. And at the end of the day, it's the vertical threat. And having Weya in there to run that kind of vertical threat, allowing us to kind of hit that release valve if we need to, those are all key. And without any of those, it starts to break apart. But I hear what you're saying, Andres, 100%. Um, Matt, kind of thoughts on what we've been talking about here in terms of the system as a whole. I, I just kind of come back to, I would like to see this team maybe play a little bit more like some of those teams that have had international success. I think to 2018 France, what did they do really well? They absorbed pressure. They had very, very good hold up play from the front. And then they hit on the counter so, so well, like in, in, that's a team that has the depth of talent to play however they want. We don't. So let's recognize and use the talent that we have a little bit more efficiently. And I think that we can be in a really, really interesting spot. Yeah, I think, I mean, all these, all these points are pretty, um, pretty well taken. I think just given the fact that, uh, this team is kind of at a inflection point where like, if they just continue this way, if nothing changes, we're not getting out of the group. Iran is a very capable team. Wales is an exceptionally capable team. England is one of the best teams in the world. When you have those teams, when you have the group that we have, if you don't play tip top soccer, if we don't play the soccer that we did play versus Costa Rica at home, Mexico at home, then you, I mean, I guess Panama at home. Besides that, you struggle to think of a ton of competitive performances besides the ones versus Mexico and a couple of those World Cup qualifiers thrown in. We will get smoked in the group, and it won't be fun. But if we do play in the style that we can and that we really should, a more pragmatic style, but you know, playing to our strengths, trying to find the feet of Musa, trying to make those runs, and at the end of the day, feeding the ball to our wingers who are our you know, most you know, gifted attacking players when it comes to chance creation, we can make some, we can make something happen in the world cup. But if that doesn't happen, it, we're going to be in for a long world cup, but there's going to be a lot more of this conversation coming down the pipe as we head into the world cup. Obviously we've talked about, uh, 
you know, this team for a while. We will continue to talk about them. This isn't going anywhere because these problems, the only way that we really know that we can address these problems are when we take the field in November. And until then, it's basically all conversation fodder and the anticipation is building. We need uh, good performances in November because to get back to the World Cup and then to deliver performances like we have over this last international window will satisfy no one and we'll just continue the narratives that have been being that that have been discussed about this team recently. It will be no fun. So we need something to change and change quick. Andres, before we get out, I think uh, you wanted to touch on something back MLS related and I will give the floor to you. Yeah. I just wanted to really quickly mention because I think it's it's somewhat important. It seems like Nashville is moving back into the Eastern Conference uh, next season uh, with St. Louis coming in to the West. Uh, I think long term, this makes sense. Uh, Nashville is pretty naturally a, a rival to Atlanta, um, even to Charlotte. You could say that they're relatively close to, to Cincinnati and, and to Columbus as well. So I think from, from that end, makes sense to have them back in the East and, and closer to their rivals. Uh, it just makes the East a little bit more, uh, a little tougher next year because you'd have to expect uh, Nashville to be pretty good and, and St. Louis probably not to be, uh, considering they're an expansion team. So uh, one, one more difficult team to, to add into that Eastern Conference uh, playoff hunt and one team to take away from the West uh, next season. Uh, uh, maybe St. Maybe St. Louis is great, but you, you'd have to put money on Nashville pre- being pretty good. So, yep, just wanted to kind of clean that up, a uh, bit of housekeeping on MLS side, because uh, I think it does, it does have an effect on how 2023 goes, uh, which is not that far away. So, yep, that's all. Oh, I do want to say I'm really happy that they are going to make that move. Uh, I think the West losing Nashville is going to be tough because it's they're just a very, very solid and well-run team. But... Uh, as a sporting Kansas City fan, I and as a Kansas City fan in or a sports fan generally, I've got a deep, deep hatred for St. Louis. Uh, love for all the people, hate for the city. Uh, so it's it's uh, uh, I'm really excited to see that rivalry for sporting to really actually have a major league soccer rival is going to be cool. So uh, yeah. You're right. It's going to be an interesting change. Is that a Cardinals Royals thing, or where is that? Uh, it was from? Cardinals Royals. It was Chiefs Rams back in the day. Like, every, there's just uh, it, it comes down to if you call it Missouri or Missouri, and if you call it Missouri, you're wrong. So, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I, I think you know. Lastly, before we get out of here, I will just touch on that. A good point throwing that in, Andre. So we would be remiss if we didn't talk about that, and that kind of slid under the radar. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Nashville are a very, very good team. And taking away from the West is taking away a legitimate power from the West. But at the end of the day, what what would we be talking about if Nashville wasn't in the West at this point? Assuming that, you know, results stay the same anywhere else. Probably RSL sliding up, right? Seattle challenging. It's still a strong conference, right? Like, we're, we're not talking about... I mean, even last year, like, I feel like the East without Nashville this year is much weaker, right? Like, if Nashville was in the East this year, they are a top two team probably in the East. Um, and I, I think... So- what? I, I, can I push back on that? that? Like, I, I'm trying to see uh, the Revs, the team that, like, 
set the record for points in in the uh, league season are in 11th in the east right now like there's a toronto yeah, but and, and I, there's some weird stuff going on like the, every season has weird intricacies but like the east is murderer's row compared to the west in my opinion hmm. oh yeah that's i feel like nashville is a more top end talent team than any of the teams in the east i think like you throw them in there against I, I I just see Nashville as a team that could be above the Red Bulls at this point. Like I, I just that's the way I've seen them in their season, the players that they have. But that could just be that could be me. Uh I think that's a kind of fan fiction for another day. But either way, like I think the West losing Nashville would not be a massive loss. That's just how I see it. Um because it's not like Nashville is like the number one team in the West or anything right now. Uh Maybe I mean I I think like it's gonna a lot of those teams that had to play Nashville this year and lost games because of it will certainly you know be happier as we get into next year that they won't have to play a really solid team in Nashville. But I think in the end it's probably it's probably gonna be all right. Um, I think that's about it. That's about it. Uh, shorter pod this week as we knew it was gonna be. Not too much MLS to talk about. Uh, with the international window and then obviously talking about the U.S. a little bit. Hope you guys enjoyed this kind of uh, different kind of episode. And we love the international window, so always happy to talk U.S. whenever we can. But next week, the week after that, basically the next month, is just going to be a ton of MLS content. The playoffs are around the corner, decision day. This last really week um, before it just gets so crazy. Uh, every team in a- action this weekend over Saturday and Sunday, I'll be in charlotte hoping that game doesn't you know get canceled i'll watch uh charlotte take on the union live that should be fun i haven't gotten down to charlotte and seen a game there yet that'll be interesting as well as the union try and uh, battle with lafc for the supporter shield supporter shield race we, we didn't even mention that it's still very much in the balance with only one win as the tiebreaker or two sorry two wins as the tiebreaker separating lafc and philadelphia right now so just so much to talk about as we get into the last two weeks. There'll be some crazy MLS pods coming up. But thank you so much for listening to this one. Uh, we'll be back probably next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with our normal MLS pod. So stay tuned to that. And until then, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we will see you then.